Thanks for tuning in to the Met Church Podcast. Here at the Met, we are all about connecting people to God and one another. If you have any questions or want more information about what's happening here at the church, then head to our website at metchurch.com. We would love to stay connected with you throughout the week through social media, so be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now, enjoy the message. Summer is the time of year when we all take a vacation. Some of you like going to the beach. Some of you like the mountains. Others of you have your old standbys that you visit every year. And some of you like taking a vacation and going to places that you've never been. And that's what we're gonna do through our series Vacation. We are going to take you to places where most of you have never been before. Each week, we're gonna travel to some of the legendary places in the world and hear some stories that change the course of history. So pack your bags, it's time for a vacation. This week, we're taking you on an adventure to the ancient city of Babylon. See, Babylon is located in present-day Iraq, and it's located on the Euphrates River, about 50 miles south of Baghdad. Babylon was roughly about 200 square miles in size, which is roughly the size of Chicago. And what was so impressive about the city was that it was completely surrounded by these 40-foot-high walls. And these walls were wide enough that actual chariots could race around the top of them. So this made Babylon pretty much impenetrable. Babylon also was the home of one of the seven ancient wonders of the world, the Hanging Gardens. And it's also where you would find the Tower of Babel. And today, as we travel to Babylon, you're going to hear the story of the incredible faith of three Hebrew slaves. It was their conviction to trust God in seemingly impossible situation that has inspired people throughout history and will inspire you to trust God through all of your difficult circumstances. But before we hear their story, let me tell you how these three Hebrew slaves got to Babylon in the first place. In 605 BC, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon defeated the Egyptians and became the world's dominant power. And since Egypt was in control of Judah at the time, now King Jehoiakim of Judah was a servant to the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, which meant Judah had to obey Babylon and pay taxes to King Nebuchadnezzar. Well, this lasted about three years, and then King Jehoiakim decides, I don't want to listen to Babylon anymore, and I'm not going to pay any taxes to him. So guess who shows up at the gates of Jerusalem? Nebuchadnezzar and his army. And a battle for control of Jerusalem begins. And this fight lasted about a year and a half. And during the battle, King Jehoiakim is killed. Well, the people immediately proclaim his son Jehoiachin to be the next king of Judah. Well, Jehoiachin is only 18 years old. He's just seen his father die in battle. He's overwhelmed. And he realizes there is no way that they're going to win this war. So three months into his reign, he surrenders the city of Jerusalem to Nebuchadnezzar. They throw open the gates. Nebuchadnezzar and his army come in. They rape, they pillage, they steal. And they cart off Jehoiachin and about 10,000 upper-class people to be slaves. And that is how Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego all end up in Babylon. And it's a story of faith of these three Hebrew slaves that can change your life. So sit back and relax and enjoy your trip to Babylon. Wow, well, Rob did a great job setting that up. I'll tell you this right here, right now. This is probably a top three 
good-looking crowd that I've seen all weekend. You guys are in the top three for sure. So my name is Micah, and I have the privilege and the honor of serving here at the Met, and I get to specifically oversee our life groups uh, as well as our young adult ministry. And uh, I'm so blessed and I'm so honored to be able to stand before you today and share what God has placed on my heart. I'm going to be vulnerable with you, and I'm going to put my life on display a little bit. And my hope and my goal and my prayer is that God would use the circumstance that we're going through right now to glorify him. And so we're going to be in Daniel 3 today, and we are going to the fiery furnace today. So I know we're all so excited to go to the fiery furnace, right? So we're going to go there. And if anybody, just a side note, if anybody ever implies or just straight up tells you that the word of God is not uh, relevant to today or it's not very interesting, kindly point them to this passage. And if you don't know, you will know here in a second. So let's jump in. Daniel 3, we're going to start in verse 8 today. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the instruments and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you've appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. So like Rob was explaining in this time, King Nebuchadnezzar, he's in control. Uh, he's ruling Babylon. And ultimately, not only do you have to live under his leadership, but you also have to bow down and worship the idols that, he have, that he's created, the false gods that he has created. That's something that he requires. And so, you know, one of his minions or whatever, one of his people, one of his generals, they come and they say, hey, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're not worshiping the golden idols that you've set up. So that sets the stage. So continuing on in verse 13. Then Nebuchadnezzar in furious rage commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I've set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the instruments and every kind of music, fall down and worship the image that I have made. Well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? So imagine this scene. There's a lot of people around, and there is a large furnace that people get thrown into right there, right? It's right in front of their face. It's a stressful moment. And King Nebuchadnezzar is laying it out very simply. He's saying, bow down and worship the gods that I have set up. Do as I say. Then well and good, he says, that's fine. Go about your way. But then he gives a second option. It's a multiple choice, right? He gives a second option and he says, if you don't, you'll be cast into the fiery furnace. It is what it is, right? I think I would politely raise my hand and say, um, is there a third option? Is there, a, is there an answer C here? Is there, is there any other option here for me other than this? And so this is the situation that they're in, right? And then he even mocks God at the end and said, who will deliver you out of my hands? Verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered, this is powerful, and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. 
But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. What incredible faith they have in that moment to stand in the middle of a circumstance that I don't think any of us can really fathom. Recant of your beliefs and worship the gods that I have set up. Do something that you know you should not do or be thrown into the fiery furnace, right? I mean, it's such a stressful situation, but they confidently step up and they say, our God is able. And they confidently say, our God will. But then they also add the caveat and it's a powerful caveat in verse 18. But if not, our God is still good. If not, if he chooses, if it's not his will that we be saved from this, that's okay. We're still not gonna bow down and worship the false gods that you have set up. Continuing on in 19. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He got mad. And he ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. I mean, that's hot. That's very hot. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Then these men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were bound in their cloaks and their tunics, their hats and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed the men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's how hot it was. The ones that were escorting Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to the furnace, the ones that were letting them into the furnace without even stepping in, burnt up, they died. That's how hot it was. Verse 23, and these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the fiery furnace. They were hogtied and thrown in there. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, did we not just cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king. He answered and said, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like the son of God. They stepped out in faith in the middle of an incredibly difficult circumstance and God showed up. He showed up there with them and they were standing in the fire and catch this, right? They were thrown in, bound by their legs, by their arms, everything. They were tossed in there. When they see the fourth, they're all standing in there and there's nothing bounding them anymore. There's nothing holding them back anymore. That's powerful. Let's finish up verse 26. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace and he declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the most high God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire and the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together, saw the important people, and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. Their hairs, the hairs on their heads were not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any God except their own. So like I said, God showed up and a life was changed. Uh, king Nebuchadnezzar went from mocking God to declaring God as king. It's powerful. It's a very powerful story that a lot of us have heard many times. A lot of us haven't heard before. God's a miracle worker. God will blow your mind sometimes. And it's powerful. So this story is absolutely incredible, and there's so much that we're going to be able to learn from from this, but also just to immediately apply it to us, 
you can stand confidently in the middle of the flames and not get burned simply because the Son of God is with you. Wow. So that was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's story and what they faced. Here is what my wife and I are facing, Emily. So Emily and I, we got married about two and a half years ago. Um, and we found out in late October, early November, that we were expecting our first child. And my gosh, we were so excited. Um, and we still are, by the way. We were so excited. And so we're, you know, progressing on. And Emily's becoming more and more pregnant, I guess, as women do. They become more and more pregnant. And we go to our 20th week appointment. And obviously, there's always jitters when you go to these appointments. There's always nerves. There's always worries because of what can happen and what you may find out. And so from that appointment and the appointments that would come the next several days and weeks, we find out that our daughter, Olivia, has a very rare and complicated congenital heart defect called hypoplastic left heart syndrome. And what that means basically is that your heart has four parts and the bottom two are ventricles and the left ventricle is not there. It's not developed yet. It's not developed yet. And Ultimately, that ventricle is very crucial to the heart because it pumps blood to the body. And so whenever you find that news out, I mean, a fog just settles over you. And when you find news like that out, you, um, it's almost like the wind just gets taken out. It's almost like there's no more air to breathe. It's such a surreal moment that we can think back to. And they start to lay out the plan and they lay out that Within the first week of her life, whenever she's born, she'll be taken from us and she'll be taken uh, for an all day long heart surgery, open heart surgery with many doctors involved, a lot of moving parts. And there is risk to this, obviously. And so if that goes well, Lord willing, and there's no complications, Lord willing, and we're praying for, then the second surgery will be between four and six months of her life. That's another open heart surgery to continue the reconstruction process. And then she'll have her third and final one between two and four years. And I think when Emily and I heard this news, um, obviously it's incredibly difficult, but I think that we were able to kind of hang our hat or grab onto the guardrails of, well, if she makes it through these surgeries, even though they're risky, then she should have somewhat of a semblance of a normal life, right? Well, doctor after doctor began to tell us that even after that, it's a very life-limiting thing. They can't completely restructure the heart. And so they're telling us what Olivia will be, what she won't be. And when you get that news, it's difficult. It's difficult. And you almost feel numb. But something that I'm going to talk about today and, and, and something that I'm going to be able to share with you and something I want you to know is that God has met us in the midst of this over and over and over again. Simply put, he has been there. He's been the exclamation mark at the end of every negative sentence that I've thought. God has met me in the midst of my difficulty every single time, just like he met Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego there in the fire. And please pray with us. Pray that God would move in such a way like he moved in a miraculous way with, with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, pray that he would move in such a miraculous way that she would be born with that perfect, fully functioning heart. And Emily and I can run through that hospital and scream at the top of our lungs that our God did this. 
How powerful would that be? What a testimony that would be. But if it's not God's will that she be healed that way, then pray alongside us as these surgeries continue on, as they reconstruct her heart. No complications, no issues in the name of Jesus, right? Let's pray for that. So partner with us in prayer, church family. I'm asking you to partner with us in prayer. Pray for Emily and I. Pray for our daughter, Olivia. She's 38, Emily's 38 weeks right now. So we are getting close. And we're feeling all the emotions. <laughs> we're feeling all of them, right? I'm, I'm scared, I'm nervous, I'm also really excited. There's a lot of things that I'm processing through and that we're processing through. And I just want you to know that I have questioned God on a lot of things. And I wanna say that from here, that it's okay to question God. That God is the kind of God that will not only allow you to question and leave you a ton of room to question, but will also process right alongside you. And like I said, he's met us in the midst of the difficulty and the dark moments every single time. So as I was writing this, and I was reflecting on the courageous faith that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had in that moment of imminent danger of a circumstance we can't even fathom or imagine. And as I was reflecting also on all the things that God has taught Emily and I over these last 18 weeks since we found this news out, I'm gonna give you three points of ways that have been crucial for us and I know will be crucial for you in your journey and in your choices that you make every single day to trust God. Our first point, trust in his plan. Psalm 910 says, and those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Simply put, the first thing you have to recognize in good or bad times, God is for you. He is for you. You can take that check to the bank and you can cash it and it won't bounce, right? You will not get arrested for check fraud, I promise. Listen, God is faithful, he is for you. God leaves room for us to question. And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego trusted and they had no doubts of who God says he is. They had no doubts, they trusted in him. I can only pray that that type of faith is something that Emily and I can have. And I wanna pray and I wanna encourage you and be expectant that that's the faith that you can have. That's the trust that you can have. So first, we're gonna trust in his plan. Second, we are going to trust in his people. Matthew 18, 20 says, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. It's such a powerful verse, right? Because three were gathered, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and God showed up. There he was, literally. There he was in the midst of the fire. God showed up. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they went through the literal fire together. They went through a circumstance that would bond you. And I imagine, and I'm gonna be projecting here a little bit, that they probably had a very close relationship with each other. And so for me, when I think about a lot of the close relationships, and when I think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I would think, okay, they were probably bros. They were probably bros, right? They were very close. And me and my friends, me and my bros, we have nicknames for each other. And something that I do often is I give people nicknames. So I'm gonna give dear old Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego some nicknames. So we're gonna call Shadrach, Shade. We're gonna call Meshach, Mishi. And we're gonna call Abednego, Abed. Now, I don't think that they're gonna be offended by me giving them nicknames. Their names are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I'm sure they just appreciate it, right? So above all, Community has been so vital for Emily and I. 
our life group here at the church, our church family, our actual family, our friends, they have gone above and beyond for us. Finding people who will listen to you and not judge you in the darkest moments of your life, but ultimately point you to Jesus is vital. It's vital. It's one of the most important decisions that you can make to trust Jesus to the point to where you would allow others to know you so deeply that they can love you. I'm gonna challenge you with something. In order to be fully loved, you have to allow yourself to be fully known. We deflect often. We get upset. Why is my life not this way? Why don't I have many close relationships? Why do I feel like I have a lot of surface level relationships? Maybe that's God. And I would say, in fact, it is God prompting in your heart. You have to be the one to set the tone. If you want something to change, step out and be the one to model what that looks like. And I know that it's complicated. I know that it's difficult to trust. We've all been let down by people that we trust, myself included, over and over and over again. We all have. And so in and of itself, it is difficult. But one thing I also want to encourage you with is that if Jesus prioritized community while here on earth, and he did, we definitely should. We definitely should. So I want you to have this. I want you to have this community in your life as God has built up an absolute army around us. We didn't even know what he was doing. <laughs> Building a group of people around us, as far as the eye can see, that are going to support us and love us and already are supporting us and loving us. God was building his people around us and we didn't even know <laughs> that that was what he was doing. But when you need it, you really need it. And so I want to encourage you to sign up for Life Group Launch coming up on July 11th. It's on Sundays at 5.30, and it is five weeks to build a foundation with a group of people who get you, who understand you, who are in a similar stage. And like I've mentioned, I'm not saying you're going to show up and it's going to be a walk in the park and it's going to be easy. But what I am saying is somebody who does get to oversee our life groups here at the church, we have 43 life groups, 600 people involved. I see life change take place every single day. When God's people get together, powerful things happen. Powerful things take place. You can sign up for a life group launch. It's coming up here in just a few weekends on the Church Center app. You can also sign up at metchurch.com forward slash events. I want you to have this. Please consider that in your heart. So our first point, right, was trust in his plan. Our second, trust in his people. Our third, trust in his peace. Philippians 4, 7, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I feel like we hear that often, this idea of peace that surpasses like cognition, surpasses anything that we can fathom. That's the type of peace that is readily available to you right here and right now. So trust in his peace is our last point. However, it couldn't be any less crucial. It couldn't be any less important. We all want peace, but we all naturally try to find it elsewhere except with God. And I'm assuming here just a bit, but I think it's safe to say that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that they did feel immense peace. God did give them immense peace as they were faced with this option of going into the fiery furnace. And you know what? They would be able to go back to life as they knew it or step into the fire and proclaim Jesus as king. 
It's difficult. And it's something that I feel like we, most of us would say, oh yeah, you know, I'd step into the fire. I don't know. (laughs) It's a complicated thing. But ultimately, I know that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego must have felt tremendous peace, the peace that surpasses all understanding, that only God can provide that day, because I also know that they were most likely absolutely shaken in their boots. They were so scared. What a scary situation. I mean, think about the circumstances, but they leaned into and they trusted, and God provided to them the peace that they needed to step into the fiery furnace. Here's something I want to point out to you. The same peace that strengthened and was with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as they stepped into that fiery furnace is the same peace that is sustaining Emily and I through this time as we're expectantly awaiting for our daughter to be here. And it is the same peace that is available to you right here, right now. It's the same God. Different circumstance, same God. That peace is available. And so, like I said, we're going to Trust in his plan, trust in his people, trust in his peace. But I also want to give you three practical steps that you can take, that you can take with you this week. Three things that you can do. Number one, reach for your Bible each morning this week rather than your smartphone. Now, I know many of you read the Bible on your smartphone instead of swiping over to the third or fourth page and clicking on your your Bible app, right? Then clicking on Instagram or or TikTok or Facebook. And again, I'm just as guilty as anybody else of it, but scroll over and click on that Bible app and start your day with Jesus. And when you do that, you are entrusting each day to him. Number two, we're gonna reach out to someone this week. Reach out to somebody in your life who you're just thankful for. Tell them that you love them. Thank them for being in your life. Reach out to somebody who's God, who God has strategically placed in your life who's hurting right now. Maybe they need to hear from you. Take them to lunch, pray for them, be there for them. Be a blessing and it will bless you. And when we do that, when we reach out to somebody, we're entrusting our relationships to God. And third, we're gonna reach up in prayer. Make the effort, and when I say effort, I I mean that. Make the effort to find pockets of time throughout your day, each day this week, and just spend time with, with God. He's a friend, he's your father, he loves you, and he knows you more intimately and deeply than you even know yourself. And so when we do that, we are laying all of our burdens, big or small, at his feet. And I pray that we leave it there at his feet But when we do that, we are entrusting our burdens to Jesus. So this week, challenging you with all these things, reach for your Bible, reach out to someone, reach up in prayer. And when you're doing this, you're entrusting each day, you're entrusting each relationship, and you're entrusting each and every burden that you brought in here with you today to him. My entire life, I have overcomplicated trust in God I've taken on more in my faith journey than what was intended. I've tried to do a lot of things that were up to God. And I think a lot of us have that issue, right? We overcomplicate trust. And there are many legitimate reasons why trust would be difficult. We've been let down. We have by people that we do trust and people that we do love. And so it is difficult. But let me tell you this. Let me tell you something about God. He is trustworthy. He will not forsake you. He will not fail you. He will not leave you. He is for you. 
Those are truths, people. That is truth. He is worthy of your trust. So let me ask you a question. What is it going to take for you to trust God? What is that creaky door in the attic of the mansion of your heart? You've let him into all 39 rooms. You, maybe you haven't mentioned to God, there's a small 40th room hidden away somewhere. When are you going to unlock that door and let, and let God come in and fill you? Here's my circumstance that I've laid out to you with Olivia and all the things that we have coming up. Here's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's story so beautifully laid out in scripture. What's yours? What is your fiery furnace, big or small? What are you holding on to? And the beautiful thing about God is that you can pray and you can ask him to help you trust. You can ask him to help you believe. How powerful is that? Not only is he trustworthy and worthy of you trusting him and believing in him, but he will also help you believe in him. Mark 9, 24, a man is speaking to Jesus. And he says, Jesus, I believe, but help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. Emily and I, we are scared. We are nervous. We are anxious. We are expectantly waiting. We are excited. We are all of the emotions leading up to this. And I don't know what's going to happen. But I trust God. With every fiber of our beings, we trust the Father. I think about his heart for us. And God was so kind to remind me this week of this. I was thinking about and processing this new love that I'm feeling, newish love that I'm feeling for my daughter and how I so desperately want to fix it. And I love my daughter so much. And I think about what I'm seeing my wife go through right now. And he reminded me that my love for them pales in comparison to the love that he has for me to the love that he has for Emily, to the love that he has for Olivia, and to the love that he has for you. Yes, you. I would point at all of you if I could. Every single one of you, God's love is beyond comprehension for you and for us. So I've also had to accept in this circumstance that I'm helpless. I can't get in there and fix her heart. And right now, you may feel helpless in, in, in a circumstance in your life right now. But let me tell you something beautiful about when you're in Christ, when you're a follower of Jesus. Yes, oftentimes we are helpless. We're finite. We can only do so much. Let me tell you something. We are not hopeless. There is no room for hopelessness in the kingdom of God. That's not in the vocabulary, family. In Jesus, there is no hopelessness. And I'm resting in that. The God of the universe is in control. So whatever struggles, pain, sin, hardship that you are carrying in here with you right now, they can be entrusted to the Father. And I'm able to know God and trust in him fully simply because of the free gift of salvation. Emily and I both trusted separately. We hadn't met each other yet at that point. When we were kids, we put our faith and trust in Jesus. And I'll tell you what, that is the best decision either of us have ever made. And that's the difference. That's why we can experience the presence of God in our lives because we entrusted our life to Jesus. It's available to you right here, right now. That's how awesome our God is.
So a scripture that really helps me and has helped me in this time is it's simple, but it's powerful. Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Everything around you is going to change. You've noticed that. Your job will change. Changes will happen in your family. Changes will happen in your relationship. But the God of the universe, Jesus, our Savior, does not change. Never have, isn't, and never will. God's love is the type of love that reaches deep down into the abyss and the muck and the mire of your heart. And he'll reach down deeper and deeper and deeper. Just grab his hand and he will pull you up and he will pull you out. And I'm telling you this, and I'm desperately pleading with you for this, not because I want something from you or we want something from you. It's because Jesus has changed my life and I so desperately want him to change yours. And I pray that if he has already changed your life, that you would grab a hold once again of the power of what a relationship with Jesus means and what it looks like. And I wanna remind you of this. This is not happening to Emily and I because we are followers of Christ. Jesus did say that in this world, we will have many troubles, but the difference is, is as a follower of Christ, as a believer, we are not going through this alone in every level. First and foremost, God is always with us and he's close. But second of all, we are surrounded by his people. And we're not battling alone. And I don't want you to battle alone. So Emily and I, what are we gonna do? We're gonna trust in his plan. We're gonna trust in his people and we're gonna trust in his peace. And my prayer is that you would do the same thing. And no matter what happens in our life or in your life, or what is to come, we will strive to trust like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did in Daniel 3, 17 and 18. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Even if not, God, you are still good. You are still good. God, you are able, and we believe for the miraculous. We do, but we trust you no matter what. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would stir in our hearts today. I pray that we would leave this place and we would be able to look back on this time as when a decision was made to trust you that changed the trajectory of everything that we know. Help us to trust in ways that we have never trusted before. Help us to love in ways that we've never loved before. Be with us. And God, for my friends in the room or online who have not put their faith and trust in you and began a relationship with you, Jesus, I pray that they would pray, that they would pray this prayer with me. God, I love you. I need you. I'm tired of doing this on my own. God, I believe that you sent your son, Jesus, to die on the cross for my sin. Forgive me of my sin. I put my faith and trust in you. Come into my life, save me and change me and guide me for all of my days. In your name I pray, amen. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you have any questions or prayer requests, please contact us by visiting metchurch.com so that we can follow up with you this week. We look forward to seeing you next week.